So Money episode 634, Dory Clark, author of Entrepreneurial You. You're listening to So Money with award-winning money guru, Farnoosh Torabi. Each day, get a 30-minute dose of financial inspiration from the world's top business minds, authors, influencers, and from Farnoosh herself. Looking for ways to save on gas or double your double coupons? Sorry, you're in the wrong place. Seeking profound ways to live a richer, happier life? Welcome to So Money. It's blast from the past week on So Money. Welcome to the show, everyone. I'm your host, Farnoosh Tarabi. You know, on Monday, we invited back our friend, Rebecca Jarvis. She is the chief business economics and technology correspondent for ABC News. She's also the host of the podcast, No Limits. And she came on the show with some incredible new insights to share after interviewing people like Barbara Corcoran and Jewel and beauty queen, Bobby Brown. Please take a listen if you haven't. Yesterday, Rebecca actually featured me on her podcast, Me on No Limits, for a So Money, No Limits crossover. So just be sure to listen to both of our episodes and uh, have your mind blown. I reveal the one thing that I'm still struggling with. It was a hard question to answer, and I'm not sure I gave the best answer, but it was pretty revealing. And while there are many areas for improvement in my life, she asked for just one. So we just gave one. But now let's focus on today. We're lucky to have back on the show, Dory Clark, whom I interviewed back on episode 206. Dory is a marketing consultant, speaker, and multi-bestselling author. Today we talk about her new book, her latest book called Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive. Yes, yes, and yes. I want to do all those things. I think you do too. In this book, she's providing readers with a blueprint on how to monetize your ideas and build a brand. I think that's probably the biggest question I get when I give talks. It's not like, how can I get out of debt, Farnoosh? It's how do I become a brand and be able to work for myself? It is a very hot thing right now. And so if you have an idea for a side gig, a hustle, a business, or you have many ideas running through your head, not sure how to make them a reality, how to really make money from these ideas, This episode is dedicated to you. Here is the lovely Dory Clark. Dory Clark, welcome back to the show, my friend, and congratulations on your latest book, author of Entrepreneurial You. Tell us everything. (laughs) Farnoosh, thank you for having me back on. It is great. It is great to be back on So Money. And yes, I am really excited about Entrepreneurial You. Because I wrote this book as kind of the the, the culmination of uh, of the the work that I've been doing the last few years. Because my most recent book, which which we talked about, was Stand Out, and that was about how to become a recognized expert in your field, how to really max it out, get respected, and uh, and be known for the talent that you have. But of course, the missing piece of that equation, and something that is so important especially, you know, as your listeners know, is that these days you can be amazing, you can be the best in your field, but you still might not really be able to make a living from what you do. And you have to get smart about how to monetize it because that is often a completely different skill set than whatever your profession is. And so Entrepreneurial You is a book 
literally about how to make more money. It's about how to create multiple income streams in your business, breaking down the process by which a lot of six and seven and eight figure entrepreneurs were able to do that so that uh, so that we can hopefully model it. I I totally love this book and I and thank you for bringing the how of how to monetize to the forefront because I I feel as though uh, we don't talk about this enough. We hear a lot of stories about people becoming seven figure, eight figure business successes, profiting from their passion, but we really don't know what the behind the scenes is like. So, so walk us through an example, if you can, of maybe something that you reported on in your book of, of, uh, of a typical kind of journey for someone on how they can map, you know, create a revenue stream from something that they are an expert in and, um, Maybe something that's super relatable to our audience too. Our audience, you know, a lot of us are are working for an employer and we hope to someday be our own boss, but we're not there yet. Yeah, absolutely. So one example that I really like from Entrepreneurial You is the story of a woman named Fei Wu. And she's somebody I met because um, she has a podcast and uh, and she invited me on. And she's actually working for herself now, but for uh, for many years. And in fact, as she was uh, starting her podcast, she, she had a traditional j- day job. She worked at an advertising agency. And she started her podcast because she just wanted an opportunity to talk to interesting, creative people and learn more about them. And what I love about Faye's story is not that her podcast exploded and she made millions of dollars from it. That can happen. And I do, in fact, have uh, some stories in Entrepreneurial U uh, that that really break down the case study behind uh, John Lee Dumas, who's a very famous, uh, now very wealthy podcaster. But that's that's always going to be the exception rather than the rule. Um, what I love about Faye's story is that she was able to build a really good living and an exciting business for herself through her podcast, but not because her podcast had millions of downloads. In fact, it's, it's, it's pretty modest. Not that many people listen to it. But what was amazing is that she built such deep and meaningful and authentic relationships with her guests on the podcast that, in fact, 25% of her podcast guests actually ended up coming to her afterwards and saying, Faye, you're, you're awesome. Can you do some work for me? Can you help me with this branding project? Can you help me mm. with this website project? Because she was just taking the time to offer really thoughtful suggestions about things like, oh, here's how you could improve your site. And it wasn't with the goal of landing business. She, she was not saying, oh, hey, hire me. She was giving people really useful suggestions that they could do on their own. But instead, oftentimes they went back to her and said, can you help with this? And so as a result, she was able to build up a great income stream for herself based on authentic relationships. So it sounds to me that there, for me, there's two takeaways there. One is that she led with this mindset of service and helping as opposed to I'm going to do something so that it's self-serving and I'm going to profit. You kind of move you, that, you know, and then hopefully that will happen. You will actually make some money, but, but leading with this intention of I want to help people, I want to give. And then secondly, she created a platform for herself where she could toot her own horn in some ways, you know, and, and in a very kind of authentic and not 
braggy way. You know, hosting a podcast is for listeners. It's a great service for her guests, uh, a great connection. And, and, and obviously she gave great advice and was able to showcase her wisdom in a way that was very inviting. That's exactly right. Yes. So podcasts are one way to do it. What are some other ways to get out there and showcase your passion, your expertise, uh, and, you know, be entrepreneurial um, and also maybe make some money? Are there other uh, <laughs> platforms? Blogging obviously has been something that's been around for a while, but I feel like now it's so, so difficult to get out there and and claim your stake in the blogosphere. I think I think in many ways that's true. However, the asterisk that I would put on this, Farnoosh, and and it's it's uh, the study that I'm going to cite for you is specifically about podcasts. But the same thing can be said for videos or for blog content. Um, an amazing study was done um, that tracked podcasts between 2005 and 2015, and what they discovered. I mean, number one, first of all, there's a lot of podcasts. There's 300,000 plus podcasts. So when you hear that, you might think, oh my gosh, like why bother? How can I, how can I possibly stand out in the midst of that? But the, the second piece of information, which not a lot of people realize and which is critically important is that the average podcast only lasts for 12 episodes before its creator gives up. I think that's really? pretty astonishing. Yes. Twelve. And so if, if you, if, yes, yeah, six months, 12 episodes. So twice a month, they do it for six months. And then on average, they give up. And so if you simply persevere, whatever your, your medium is that you're trying to reach people, whether, whether it's words, whether it's audio, whether it's video, whatever, if you just outlast the competition, you can often reach people in, in really profound ways. And in fact, one of the case studies in entrepreneurial you, um, we'll, we'll come up with some, some other variations here. But, um, so this guy, Jordan Harbinger, who you know, he's, uh, the host of a, uh, popular podcast, The Art of Charm. He's been doing it for, for a decade. And so the interesting thing, he, he does make money from his podcast, but the goal of the podcast, you know, like Fei Wu, it's not to make money from it. It's to use it as a way of, of reaching people for other interesting things. You can monetize on the back end. And so something that he's mm -hmm. done, which I think a lot of your listeners can, can think about, you know, as they begin to build their audiences is that he does live events. And so he has uh, something called the Art of Charm Boot Camp. His, uh, his goal, he has a largely male listenership. And so people come to Los Angeles for week long trainings about persuasion and charisma and things like that. And so, they cost multiple thousands of dollars, and he's been able to build a really robust live event business um, as a result of that. So that's that's another way to uh, to monetize. And something that if people are not doing it already, I would heartily encourage them to consider perhaps as one of the first things they do is coaching or consulting because the startup cost mm -hmm. is zero. You can, you get one client and you can, you can get going and it actually gives you critically important information up front because as I worked through the process, 
of researching entrepreneurial you, what, what I came to realize is that, you know, fundamentally, a lot of people think that they can just jump to scale, you know, oh, I'm just gonna, I'm gonna start something and reach millions of people. But, and you know, yes, technically, the internet allows you to do something like that. But the truth is, if you really want to do it well and sustainably and effectively, what you really should be doing is think about reaching one or two or 10 or 50 people first and get to know your audience intimately so that you understand who they are and what they need and how you can help them. And then you can scale it. And so starting early on with coaching or consulting on the side is great because it allows you that kind of intimacy and immediacy that gives you the data you need so that you really can later on speak to a far wider range of people. And share with us what kinds of expertises right now uh, are best suited, are well suited for a transition to entrepreneurship as you've witnessed, as you've researched? Uh, I mean, is, is anything monetizable, any kind of like, you know, service expertise, or are there some that are, are, are kind of more in demand now than others? Well, you know, in theory, of course, everything is monetizable, um, but it, it it does depend uh, certainly on how essential people view the service as being. Um, you know, you're probably not going to take a $2,000 course on how to knit a hat, for instance. <laughs> there, there might be a lot of people no. that want to learn how to knit a hat, but it's not worth $2,000 to you. So you ha- depending on whatever your thing is, you, you might want to think, all right, well, you know, what, what seems appropriate given how much people prioritize it? But there's also the beauty of developing multiple income streams is that there's a lot of ways that you can make money. So for instance, a case study that I have in Entrepreneurial U is uh, Lindsay and Bjork Ostrom, who are a couple in uh, Minnesota. And Lindsay was a big cook. She was really into it. And she hit this point where she had been posting so many res- uh, recipes on her Facebook page that she thought she was starting to annoy people. <laughs> and so she thought, oh no, you know, I I don't want to like alienate my friends. I should start a website where the people who are actually interested can come to see these uh, recipes. And so she and her husband Bjork um, started the website called Pinch of Yum. And this has become a tremendously successful empire. It's bringing in $50,000 or more every month. And they monetize in a lot of different ways. Um, now, it, you know, it took a couple of years for them to really make any money at all because it takes time to build an audience and build traction. But once they began to do that, um, they got sponsored posts where a company would pay them. Oh, you know, uh, you know, if I'm a flour company, I might pay them to create a muffin recipe with my flour, for instance. Um, they actually sell their own products. So, for instance, Lindsay has a uh, a great ebook about food photography that she sells directly. They do live workshops for their readers. So, there's a, a whole panoply of ways once you build that audience um, for you know for almost anything, including you know food, cooking, what have you, uh, that people can and will pay. Right. You know, going back to your example about Faye, I think that. And and as a podcaster myself, I will be I will admit that, you know, my podcast is not directly, uh, a, you know, a super big revenue engine in it of itself. But there is something there is equity in doing it and you can leverage that. And I think that's important for it's an important message that you share with people, because sometimes you it's worth it to pursue things that uh 
you know, may not directly lead you to uh, making lots of money, but the process of doing it, the people you meet doing it, the audience that you can attract doing it, uh, that all has intrinsic value, right? And, and and then it's the next step is figuring out how to leverage that to then actually make the big money. Um, a lot of this story comes down to marketing yourself well, right? And believing in yourself, step one. Step two, believing in yourself and 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 sh- and sharing exposing that to others and saying like I am actually the best person to teach you this. I am a great person to come to for this problem and I can solve it. Some of us aren't good at self-promotion. We're not good at talking about ourselves. Does your book address this? Because I feel that with so many entrepreneurs I've interviewed and profiled and followed, at the end of the day, what is their genius? is their ability to sell, sell themselves, sell their product, sell their service. It's not necessarily that they have the most groundbreaking thing that they're bringing to market, but they're really good at convincing people that they need to get it from them. How do you get there? Yeah, so this is an important question. And so I have two answers. The first one is that in many ways, you know, I was alluding to, uh, to some previous books that, that I've written. Um, Entrepreneurial You is, is kind of the capstone of the trilogy in terms of how to make money. But my first book, Reinventing You, really goes into depth about your personal brand and uh, how you're known in, in the world and in the marketplace. And so for people looking for a deep dive, I would, uh, I would suggest that. But I definitely, but you know, answer number two, I definitely do talk in Entrepreneurial You about some of the challenges that come from uh, from making a sale. You know, th- this this is very fraught in our culture. And so I think it, it is something that's important to discuss. Um, a gentleman that I interviewed uh, for Entrepreneurial You uh, is named Michael Bungay-Stanier, who is a, uh, a very successful um, coach. He, he runs a, a coaching business that actually trains managers to coach their employees. And uh, he t- passed on uh, a piece of advice that he re- received early in his career, which is that the amount you charge should be fear plus 10%. <laughs> and so if you can, if you could fear take whatever. Fear plus 10%. <laughs> that's right. Whatever number scares you and you add 10% to it, that's how you can continue to push yourself and do it. And uh, it's it's not an easy process. But, you know, I also uh, profiled an entrepreneur named Andrew Warner, who has a business called Mixergy. And he had this uh, kind of kind of scary moment for him because originally he had started the site. Um, it's, uh, it's, it's a membership site where he has more than 1,200 interviews with entrepreneurs and uh, these videos interviews and originally they were up there for free but but he realized he was putting a lot of money and time into it he had editors things like that and so he realized if it was going to be sustainable he would have to charge in order to keep doing it I mean in a lot of ways that becomes the challenge for all of us is okay well do I charge you know or charge sufficiently or do I just stop doing it because I can't afford to do it and so in that moment when he had to realize oh gosh I really ought to ask my viewers for money he was scared he was worried he would get some blowback and the honest truth that we have to realize is he did get some blowback. There were a few people that were like, oh, you sell out, you you tricked us, you know, you, you give us this thing for free and now you're charging. You know, there's always going to be a couple of people that are obnoxious about it. But if you have built up enough trust with your audience, and, and that's really where um, giving freely and generously um, up front pays a big dividend, 
If you have done that and built that trust, oftentimes your audience, the vast majority, will understand and will say, you know what, we would rather have you continue to do this rather, and and we will pay, rather than you having to stop because it's just not sustainable. I love that. Or you could get sponsors. (laughs) Yes, there's absolutely that too. But I had this idea the other day about you know, I was talking to someone the other day at a conference about monetizing a podcast, and there are a number of ways to do it. Uh, we you brought up a lot of great ideas. He, uh, this particular podcaster, and I were talking about maybe doing a Kickstarter, and like actually doing a fundraiser, as sometimes PBS does. You know, to keep its uh, shows on the air, it has a tele. Tele, I guess telemarket, not telemarketing, but they'll do um, telethons, right? Well, they're yeah. they'll like ask you to give, you know, ten dollars, five dollars, whatever you can give, and then um, debate based on how much you give, you might get some free extras. You know, in addition to getting the show to continue, you get maybe uh, some books, some one-on-one time with me, etc. So I don't know, listeners, tell me what you think about that. Would you pay to keep this show alive? And if so, how much? (laughs) If it means not having to listen to me talking about some sponsor for 60 seconds uh, in between interviews. But that's a sidebar. Dory, um, you have written multiple books. You are a prolific writer. What if you learned... Uh, about the process of book writing, something recently that you've learned perhaps that has uh, made you think differently about book writing or um, has made you love it or like it less. Like, I just want to get behind the scenes and in your head a little bit about what you are um, discovering about the book writing process and the marketing process. What's working for you? If Are you going to write another book? And if you are, what's it, what's that going to be about? Well, great, great questions. Um, I would say one, one overarching theme about my work, and you're right, I have been relatively prolific the last few years. My first book, Reinventing You, came out in 2013, uh, Stand Out. My second book came out in 2015, and now two years later, uh, Entrepreneurial You is hitting. Um, the reason that I have made such a push on book writing and content creation is that when I signed my first book contract, in 2011, I actually had a hypothesis that uh, that the book publishing industry would be dead or close to dead within five years. And I thought, you know what? There is still right now a structural advantage to working with a mainstream publisher. And so... In this window, before the you know before the door closes, uh, to mix my metaphors here, um, I I am going to take advantage of that, and I am going to max it out as much and as fast as I can. But after that, um, you know things might go downhill. Now, of course, the you know the book industry industry has not crumbled in five years; it's still here. But I I would argue that. The, I'll call it moral authority they had over self-publishing, uh, the stigma that had been attached to self-publishing, um, that's gone. That's erased. I have many friends now who have self-published. You know, our mutual friend James Altucher self-published uh, his book "Choose Yourself." People don't know. They don't ask. They don't care when you self-publish a book. Um, it's not. Uh, it's not considered a failure. Um, which which 
you know, until very recently, it was uh, considered that, oh, no one, no one wanted it. Um, now it's entirely changed and upended. And so, you know, my books have all been with, with large mainstream traditional publishers. Uh, my, my current book, Entrepreneurial U, is coming out from Harvard Business Review Press. And so, you know, there is some brand advantage to it. Um, you know, it's a peer reviewed book, all these, all these things, these sort of markers of quality. But the truth is, most people don't necessarily even know or care who the publisher is. So the honest truth, is that uh, probably in the future I will explore self-publishing because the structural advantages are diminishing of uh, traditional mainstream houses. Yes, I agree with you. Although I will say, because I'm traditionally published and I still believe in the power of traditional publishing, depends on what your goals are. I think that if you have the audience that James has and the audience that you are developing, you have a big audience story, that it's it's... It's a no-brainer. I'm going to self-publish, go direct to my readers, make more money, and still get a lot of the notoriety, the media acclaim, the podcast interviews, the um, the Business Insider Inc., Entrepreneur Forbes highlights. However, I think for people who want to get into, say, television, right, morning TV, um, reality TV, sort of the again, which is like TV being also a very traditional platform industry, much like book publishing. I think the people who are in that world making decisions, um, not that they don't think that a self-published book has value or merit or is a, they don't think it's a failure, but I think that, that it is easier to pitch to those folks when you have the backing of an established traditional publisher. Uh, because inherently, that means that your book was picked while many, many others were not. And so there is this inherent... Uh, uh, sort of redemption, right? For the fact that you have this book that is self-published. And, and that, I think that, that does have value. Uh, do you still think publishing is going to go away in the timeline that you projected? <laughs> so that's like what next year? <laughs> that's right. I, I, I think Everyone I was probably get your proposals in now. <laughs> <laughs> I think I was probably overly morbid, but, but you know, the, the thing is, um, it's, it's like, Publishing, I think, is going to become a, uh, an industry like radio. There is still a radio industry, but there once was a time when radio was the industry, and it was the driver of culture. It was what everyone talked about and listened to, and we don't remember that because that was that was our grandparents' and our great-grandparents' era. As soon as television came on, television became where the action was at. So radio still exists. Radio is popular. People, you know, oh yeah, people know who Ira Glass is or whatever. There's some celebrities that come out of it, but radio isn't necessarily driving the discussion. Uh, And I think that publishing is probably going to recede into something like that. And so to your point, I agree with you. I'm going to yes and you, uh, Farnoosh, because uh, I, I agree with you that, um, that for someone who is, who is coming up and maybe they're, you know, they're unknown or they're, you know, they're trying to break in, they're trying to get a following. Um, a traditionally published book can be enormously helpful. And so the, the branding and credibility of that is really valuable. However, the asterisk is that if you really are unknown, it's going to be almost impossible for you to get a traditionally published book because the right. things yes. they are looking for is that you already have a platform. And so in a lot of ways, it becomes a chicken or egg situation because, okay, well, would a book make it easier for you to, to get on, on television? Yes, it would. But 
it's not even so much the book as it is the things that you have to have in order to get the book deal, which is a large number of social media followers and heavy name recognition. So I think in, in many ways, um, if you can, if you can build those drivers of the platform through other methods, like maybe blogging or social media or podcasting or creating your own YouTube videos, like, you know, the Broad City Gals did, you know, that, that is the thing that will get you noticed. The, what the publishers are interested in, they, they don't want to break new people anymore. That's too risky for them. They're so risk averse. What they really want, honestly, is for someone to already be a reality TV star and then say, oh, Snooki, let's publish your book. (laughs) And then it becomes a New York Times bestseller and I just want to shoot myself. Pretty much. Dory Clark. (laughs) (laughs) Dory Clark, thank you so much, as always, for coming on the show. I know you'll be on again with another fascinating and important book. And folks, if you want to listen to Dory's initial So Money interview, where she not only talks about her last book, but also her personal finance philosophy and strategies and experiences, which is a whole other podcast, please check out episode 206. Dory, congratulations. And I'm happy to have you back anytime. Farnish, you were the best. Thank you so much for having me. I'll just mention for folks who want to learn more, I have a free entrepreneurial use self-assessment and uh, folks can figure out how to develop multiple income streams in their own lives. It's at doryclark.com slash entrepreneur. And thanks so much, Farnish, for having me. Thanks so much to Dory for stopping by. Her website is doryclark.com. She's on Twitter at Dory Clark. And her new book again is Entrepreneurial You, Monetize Your Expertise, Create Multiple Income Streams, and Thrive. It just came out this week, hot off the press. Thanks for tuning in, everyone. If you missed any of this, just hop over to somoneypodcast.com and you can download the podcast audio. You can download the transcript. You can also leave a question for our Friday episodes by clicking on Ask Farnoosh. Thanks again. And I hope your day is so money. <laughs>